1: military moms this is Sandra Beck and I'm here with Robin Boyd and Robin I got to tell you we have the greatest show today we're going to be interviewing Andrew Whitman Dr. Andrew Whitman who wrote uh-huh. a great book called Seven Secrets of Resilience for Parents and, oh my goodness that's going to be everybody's bible Oh and navigating the stress of parenthood now before we got on the air you listened to <laughs> me yell at my kids Because it's a Saturday morning and we're recording, and they were fighting. You know, one locked the other one in the corner, Mm -hmm. and I had to take a phone away, and it just never ends. The stress of parenting is so great. And his book, Seven Secrets of Resilience for Parents, is a great topic because so many of our military families, because of deployments, because of service time, whatever it is, or PCSing, or Whatever. Single parenting is just
0: almost every day. It is difficult, and I think our military families do have that extra amount of stress um, because we've said this before in many a show. Uh, not only does the service person serve, but the whole family serves, and there's added stress. There's added um, Complications to every military family, um, knowing that it's that there are guides or assistance in how to be resilient as you're parenting um, it, it's it's a wonderful uh, help to our families to have um, Dr. Whitman on today.
1: It is because, you know, Rob, I look at some of the older parents and they're like, they get it more. They've been around, they've been it through, you know, like some things yeah. that freak me out. My older parent friends will be like, well, that's just normal. Like, okay, here's a perfect yeah. example. We're trying to get on the air today and I'm working from home and there's a big thump upstairs. I'm trying to yeah. concentrate. And then I hear them screaming mm-hmm. and I go out and yell at them, you know, mm-hmm. I'm like, guys, I got to work. I got to, oh. And And I'm over here laughing. (laughs) And then you're like, well, Sam, that's just boys being boys.
0: (laughs) It is to a certain degree. Certainly there there have to be corrections. That's why they're children and we're parents. We do have to help guide them. This is appropriate behavior. This isn't. Um, And I think what's hard is in the moment, you as a parent, are so exasperated because you have to deal with not only this issue, but 12 other issues. I visited my daughter this past weekend. She's in her 30s. And there was a topic that came up and I said, well, you know, do you remember when you were in the sixth grade? I said no to you for what they wanted to walk to Kmart or something. And um, I said, no, they were these little petite girls walking down the street. And even back then, I didn't allow them to walk. And she was so angry because her brother and his friend could do that in the sixth grade, but they could not. So unfair. And now she at in her thirties is laughing about that instance because she wouldn't have let us, 12 year old do it either (laughs) but in the moment that instance was so stressful she was crying I was heated I was upset my the rest of my day was wrecked you can't focus on the other things in your life when you have this one thing that has just disrupted you
1: no and you know and it's always like Rob we've been up since seven o'clock in our house and we're doing this recording at 1130 Mm -hmm. Why did the fight have to happen the minute I say, guys, I'm going into my studio, I need to record, I need you to be silent? I mean, maybe it was my fault for giving them the warning, you know? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) But you know, if you wanted to have this fight, why didn't they have it an hour ago or two hours right. ago or three hours right. ago? Like, it just never works out, I think, for any parent. It's like a toddler, you know, my friend, she had one of those surprise babies at 48. Oh, yeah. And we were all getting ready for our 15 year olds to go to homecoming. And her little toddler just, all the homecoming pictures have this kid standing there in his underpants. Because every picture the mom tried to get of the couples, he would scream, he would run. And of course, you know, the dad's not home, so he's working and we're, you know, trying to juggle this thing and I'm holding him and he's apoplectic. So we decided, all right, well, the picture is going to be, you know, the two couples and Raleigh in his underpants.
0: And you either show them from the waist up <laughs> or you laugh at it 30 years later. Uh you know and I think that's where resilience is so hard. You have to be resilient in the moment because like you right now, you may have been upset with your your boys acting up, but you now have to go back to your professional persona, not your mom persona. Having that resilience is really tough and it's especially when you're alone it is difficult and when our people are deployed and the families are back home they have to do it on their own and that is not easy
1: well and it's like you know i liken it to like driving a tractor or driving an 18-wheeler i've never driven an 18-wheeler so i don't know but i've driven tractors in my life so you know, that switching gears, I actually make this yeah. mental thing in my head, like I'm yelling at my kids right now. And when I sit back on that desk, I imagine myself shifting the gear. Mm-hmm. And I sometimes I actually make that I'm like, all right, I'm gonna sit down and shift into gears. And I'm like, yeah, now yeah. I'm in this mode. Um, but it takes practice. It wasn't something that I knew how to do right away. Mm-hmm. It took practice and you know you're going to get better at it and you'll be able to put stuff aside and I do think you know working with men my whole life and working with marines a lot Mm -hmm. men are better at putting things in boxes than women as a general rule Mm -hmm. and so one of the things that I learned from all my marine friends was that they just put it aside and I couldn't put it aside but I can make a box I call it my transformation box I learned this from Dr. Joseph Gallenberger on one of our shows. And I just imagine picking up each of my children by the scruff of their neck and they're screaming. They're like, "Ah!" you know, and I drop them in the box and I lock it shut. And the box looks like my grandpa's fishing tackle box. Like I have an image of it It Says on top because his name was Gilbert and green. And then I lock it shut. And that not only makes me laugh, but it helps me kind of reset because I can take them out of the box later and deal with it and think about it. Mm -hmm. But not when I'm trying to juggle.
0: Right, right. Um, It it is so hard. We have to juggle so many things. We have to juggle our home life. We have to juggle work. We have to juggle shopping. I mean... Those are the things that are so difficult. Uh, Thank goodness for uh, being able to do some shopping online. Um, And actually, uh, speaking of shopping online, that was one of the things uh, that we wanted to talk about today uh, because we have a sponsor today. Third Love um, is one of the companies that you introduced me to, Sandra. Um, And I hadn't done a lot of bra shopping online because. Who would think that you could get a perfect fit Of a bra by shopping online you figure oh I've got to go to the store I have to go in I have to get fitted I have to deal with a pushy salesperson Um, those are the things that make it all uncomfortable so you settle for the ill-fitting bra that you get on the clothes rack uh, on your way out of the department store Um, but I have to say uh, since you introduced me to third love I I can attest that third love knows that there is a perfect bra for everyone so right now, they are offering our listeners 15% off their first order. They uh, All our listeners need to do is to go to thirdlove.com slash MMTR, as in Military Mom Talk Radio, MMTR now to find your perfect fitting bra. And they will get 15% off their first purchase. That's thirdlove.com slash MMTR for 15% off today. What a deal, Sandra. That's amazing.
1: Rob, I've been wearing my third love bras for like 18 months, maybe two years. And I got to tell you, I love them. They are my total favorite bras because they, they're the most comfortable bra you'll ever own for sure. They don't have any tags. There's no itching. The straps don't slip and it's super smooth and lightweight. And I love the memory foam cups. And I wouldn't have picked the right one if I didn't take their fit finder quiz. You know, over 10 million women have taken this quiz to date and it's actually fun. And it just takes like a couple minutes to complete. And I found that breast shape matters when finding a good fit. And even though I had the right band size, I, I got a different um, cup size than I normally would wear and it worked. Yeah. You know, Rob, a little bit more about the fit finder. It actually walked me through some things I never thought about. Asked me about the band in the back. Like, does it ride up or drop down? I'm like, huh? You know, do the straps slide to the right or the left? I'm like, huh? So even if you're don't want a bra right now, go take the Fit Finder quiz because I did actually learn a lot about bras. The one thing I will say after having one of my bras for at least 18 months, I'm saying two years, but I'm not sure. I throw them in the wash. I don't always use a bra bag. I don't always blind dry it. I throw it in the dryer when I'm in a hurry. Um, but I found myself pulling the same bra out of the drawer. Like I'm rustling around and I know I'm getting ready for work, so I'm looking for that one bra. And then I look for right. the other bra and like when it's like and I realize I'm wearing that bra more than anything else. And it didn't have an itchy yeah. tag. The biggest endorsement I can give for them is that it's like the most comfortable bra I've ever owned. I reach for it again and again and it didn't fall apart because I've had bras that I really like. And as a single soul supporting mom taking care of her 84 year old dad and working full time, I'm sorry. I don't have time to hand wash my bras and right. it's just not always. And then my kids help with the laundry. So my bras go in and then they get shoved in the dryer. Like it's real. Like that's real life yeah. for me
0: yeah absolutely i think one of the reasons why they do fit i mean they just added 24 new sizes making them the industry leader with a a total of 70 sizes they have 70 sizes Some And 70 because many of them are half sizes. No woman is the exact same. If you're a 36 and I'm a 36, we're not going to be the same size. We're still going to need a different shape or a different cut. So with cups from A to H and bands up to 48, that means that every woman is going to get a bra that is going to be just like a custom-sized fit for her.
1: Well, and look at you and me. I'm 5'8", and you're how tall? (laughs) (laughs) Four eight. <laughs> <laughs> we're a full, and I wear a thirty six C.
0: Yeah, and I'm a double D most of the time. And this is one of the things that the fit finder did. They ask you, "What have you been wearing? What has bothered you with what you were wearing? Does does it ride up? Do the straps slip down?" With their fit finder, it helps you find that perfect size so that your straps won't slip you've got this gorgeous ultra soft smooth fabric that fabric is the most uh softest fabric i think i would ever felt against my skin um it's lightweight it's super thin memory foam cups so it just like you said before it conforms to you and it is a perfect fit
1: well, and I wear t-shirts a lot, Rob. I'm in Southern California, so it's hot. So t-shirts and tank tops are a go-to for like eight months out of the year. So wearing, sure. I wear the classic t-shirt bra and that's my favorite. I actually own six of them in mm-hmm. the naked color. They're all exactly the same. Like I'm, I'm pretty much loyal. Like, you know, I'm like, I hope third love never goes out of business. Cause I'm probably going to be buried <laughs> in it like 60 years later. Cause once you find one that fits and works, yes. Yes, and I don't have to look anywhere else, but the funny thing is, Rob, it, it, you like okay, I'm just gonna say this your boobs look the right shape. Have you ever put on a bra that looks like they're like two melons shoved up to your collarbone or they're like the bullet ones? Like, I had this one bra that the cup made me look like a fembot from you know, like Austin Powers, they were sticking straight out. I was like, wow, are there gonna be some guns that shoot out of these? The cup shape looks natural. It still supports me. It still gives me lift. And the cup's not too thick that it looks like you're wearing a padded bra. You know, I have one bra that is as close to the third love one as as I can can find, but the fabric is really thick. And it makes me feel like I'm wearing a padded bra. And I could actually brush up against things and not feel it. So it it didn't feel natural. And these feel really good. Yeah, they really do. And I think one of the things
0: that anybody, me included, I have always been apprehensive to order something online because you figure, oh my goodness, I'm going to invest in this and then it's not going to be right and it's going to go in the bottom drawer underneath all of the sweatpants. They guarantee a perfect fit because returns and exchanges are free and easy. I did have to return my first one. It didn't fit quite right. They sent me a label. I put it back in the box. I handed it to the postman and I had a brand new bra that fit me the right way within a week so that is a win-win you get the exact size for you they're going to make sure of that because they guarantee a perfect fit and returns are free
1: oh that's cool yeah i haven't had to return anything but i will say i'm really happy that they shipped quickly i had within three or four days and there's nothing worse than ordering something online and waiting weeks or have it back-ordered
0: I know absolutely. So with a variety of sizes, the fact that you can try it on, if it's not quite right, it goes back until it is right. I love it. Um and this half cup sizing is that's that's brilliant because like we were saying we could be the exact same size but we're not going to be shaped the same size no not you. at all
1: yeah so Third love knows there's a perfect bra for everyone and right now they are offering our listeners 15 percent off on your first order so to take advantage of this go to thirdlove.com mmtr like military mom talk radio to find your perfect fitting bra and get 15 percent off your first purchase that's thirdlove.com Slash MMTR for 15% off today. Now we're going to be meeting with Andrew Whitman, Rob. Uh, He wrote a book called Seven Secrets of Resilience for Parents Navigating the Stress of Parenting. We're going to go for a commercial break and then we're going to come back and learn how to go from being an emotional reactor to a reasonable responder and how to create harmony in the home so that it becomes a sanctuary for stress, not the cause of it. I can't wait to learn more. I can't either. (laughs) All right, we'll be back after this break.
2: Are you a dynamic woman? Sandra Beck and Linda Crater host Dynamic Women Talk Radio, bringing lively weekly shows in a roundtable format with influential guests from around the globe. This amazing tribe of diverse and accomplished women share their candid views on topics such as reputation, handling rejection, loyalty, what is sexy, overthinking, blended families, and much more. Discussions are joyful with freedom to address topics from various perspectives with candor, respect, and no judgment. These are the conversations you wish you could have with all your family and friends. Dynamic women have lived their lives boldly with unexpected and sometimes undesired turns in the road of life. Yet detours and bumps bring opportunity, personal growth, more authenticity, and a fresh outlook. Join our welcoming tribe of Dynamic Women each Tuesday at 12 p.m. Eastern Time, also on iTunes, and more information at DynamicWomenTalkRadio.com, celebrating vibrant, charismatic women everywhere.
1: Hey everybody, we're here today with Dr. Andrew Whitman. He wrote this great book, I know because I'm referenced on the cover, but that's not why he's here today. He's here today because he wrote this great book called Seven Secrets of Resilience for Parents, Navigating the Stress of Parenthood. Now, I have two kids and I'm a single mom, and Rob, you raised two kids while being treated for cancer, and these things do create a little bit of stress in our lives, and parenting, even on a good day, is stressful, don't you think so, Rob? Absolutely. You know, whether it's something that's
0: insignificant, like somebody won't share the remote or hid the remote or something, or if it's something more serious, uh, like uh, an illness or like um, a, a family dispute or a, or a separation. There is so much that I think families have to endure and, and process through. And every, every family is going to be a little bit different. But um, I think it's, it's always wonderful to sort of sit back and work it through as a family. I know we many times have been very open with our kids when they were little. And now as adults, um, it's wonderful to be able to have that open door to be able to uh, talk about things that happened then or maybe now give them the skills that it's easy for them to process with their own families.
1: Well, and then pile on top of it the wonderful military experience, and we've got transitions, we've got deployments, we've got redeployments, we've got... Uh, PCS moves from place yeah. to place, a whole host yeah. of things, which is why we're bringing Dr. Andrew Whitman on today. And I'd love for you to introduce yourself, Dr. Whitman, because you have such a cool background and you're such a great guy. And we're so happy to have you here.
3: Oh, thank you so much. I'm so pumped. And, and re- I thank you so much for being one of the early folks that I went to, to look at the manuscript and give me like real feedback on it. And so I, I, I love you, Sandra. I love what you do. <laughs> I have mad respect for you, and I, I want to thank you for helping me in the early on, in the process of, the book, of writing the book and going through it and everything, so thank you.
1: You're quite welcome. I mean, it's a great book, and you know, you have how many kids?
3: I've got three, and they're, uh, you know, the oldest two are in college. They're at the Citadel right now. Uh, one's a junior, and the other one's a knob. It's his freshman year, and then my little girl, just a, a freshman in high school,
1: well, and you have that, that, what I call like the devil's triangle, whenever I have three, because there's always two ganging up on one. When you have two, it's kind of at least a fair fight one, but I bring in a third into the mix. There's never an even, and nothing comes in packages of threes. You have two Almond Joys in a box. You know? Right? I know.
3: <laughs> I know. There's, not, there's nothing set up for, exactly. It's, it's always for two kids, right? Or four, but not three or five. I, yeah. So no, it's totally right on with that. But you know what? Uh, it doesn't have to be a stress. You could turn that into, you know, there's a swing vote. So that there's always a majority. There's never a deadlock.
1: It's, <laughs> <laughs> That's a great way to look at it. So tell me why you wrote this book.
3: Yeah. So, and and really I got to start with my background. Like when I was uh, growing up, my mom and dad were missionaries and I grew up in a small town in Australia called Wagga Wagga, New South Wales. And I was the fat kid in high school and got bullied. Right. I was 5'3". I weighed 185 pounds and my nickname was Beach Ball. Right. So, and, and we weren't allowed to fight back because we're missionaries kids. Right. Not allowed to fight back. So I live my life in, like, anxiety and fear, like, constantly. And, you know, I don't want to live my life like this. So when I graduated high school, we returned to the States, and I enlisted in the United States Marine Corps. And I did six years in the Marine Corps infantry and was uh, privileged to lead troops in combat in Desert Storm and also in the Republic of Panama. Um, Then I got out, went to college, and went into law enforcement. And I was a local sheriff's deputy here in South Carolina, where I'm based, for about a year and a half. And when my wife became pregnant with our first child, She said, you know, I don't want to work anymore. I want to stay home. And I was like, that's fantastic, but you're making 65% of our income. I love (laughs) you, sugar, but, you know. So what we did is I put in federal applications, federal law enforcement. So it was like the Secret Service, the FBI, the DEA, the Marshals, you know, the alphabet soup. And uh, the agency that picked me up first was the United States Capitol Police. And so, of course, you go with whoever's calling, right? So (laughs) they do the same thing the Secret Service does. They just do it for the House and the Senate. So I spent six years there, and my great claim to fame is that I was the agent in charge of Nancy Pelosi's detail, Um, personally protected Joe Lieberman, Hillary Clinton, some heads of state, Um, and then I went over to the State Department and was teaching high-threat diplomatic security to SEALs, Marines, Rangers, and SF guys, and we were running missions in Afghanistan and the Middle East and Kosovo, and then I just got tired of getting shot at for a living and never being home, right? So, and I was getting old. I mean, at that point, I was 45. I'm like, I just can't keep doing this, you know? So... In 2013, we came home and we set up uh, the Mental Toughness Training Center to teach this stuff to corporate. And as that's been going on since 2013, my kid, you know, still doing all the stuff, raising the kids and all that. And I thought, you know, people started asking me in corporate, how can I get this information? You know, how could this help me at home? And I thought, well, let's just, you know, talk about, because the stress of parenting is way worse than anything else on the planet. Like there's no, there's nothing tougher because we have such an emotional investment in the well-being of our kids well beyond anything else on the planet. So the the stress levels be way higher every time there's a hiccup and, you know, because we all want our kids to have the best life possible. So that's why I wrote the book. So we could deal with navigating the stress of all these hiccups.
1: Well, and don't you find that, you know, like I had two preemies and so You know, I had these little balls of human that come out and they're hooked up to all these different wires and stuff. And that was the point at which I realized I'm a new parent, but I'm not even close to being a resilient parent. I can handle a lot of things, but I didn't know how to handle, especially all the feelings. Like that's what you're talking about, that emotional involvement you have with your kids that just really kind of, it kind of screws everything up, especially if you're used to being like me. I'm going to look at this empirically, I'm going to look at the data, I'm going to make the decision, and then my kid throws up. Like,
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, Sandra, what I want to sort of talk a little bit before we get too far, when, uh, Dr. Whitman, when you're talking about resilient parenting, uh, we are always talking about kids being resilient, but what are you saying about parents being resilient? Because I think that's where your operative word is. The parents being resilient. And that's right. What
3: you're, you're so right on, Rob, because because we all know kids are resilient. So what yep. happened to us parents? Somehow <laughs> yes. we lost touch with it, right? Yeah. We had that yeah. when we were little. right? Yeah. So this is my whole, my whole premise is that we do have it. Every human being has resilience when we come out of the birth canal. It's, it's part of the DNA. <laughs> but at some point, we stop learning how to tap into it and deploy it when we need it. And so, and as parents, because of all the stress and the washing machine of life, right, where you're on that spin cycle and then, you know, chug, chug, right, that stuff happens. We tend to forget how to tap into it. Like almost as a child, we instinctively tap into it. As a parent, we lose some of that. And that's what the book is, is like a step-by-step process to walk you down the path, to get back in touch with what's already on the inside of you. You already, every parent is resilient, guarantee it. There's, it's part of the human DNA. You just got to learn to tap into it.
1: It's like a muscle. It gets better and it gets stronger. You know, the parent that I was 10 years ago, you know, and I went through seven years of divorce court and all Mm. sorts of different, you know, what I call nonsense now, but you also have to know yourself. And that's one of the things that really came out in your book, Andrew, is, is one of the big secrets is knowing yourself.
3: Absolutely. And that's really that's the, really the beginning of it. And that's what we talk about in the book is having an internal identity, mm-hmm. not a label of because a lot of times this happens. Uh, it, it's a shortcut. I'll tell you, it's a mental shortcut to take on a label as a role and then as the identity because people will tell me what they do for a living as an identity. Sometimes, you know, I'm the EVP of this corporation, or I'm a sales rep, or I'm a cop. I'm a SEAL. You know, I'm a Marine. And then also I get the parents, right? I'm a dad. I'm a mom. I always kind of like, cringe a little bit when people tell me their identity is being a mom or a dad. Those are roles that you play because what happens when the kids go out of the house, then we're setting up for a big stress and we're able to say, oh, the empty nest syndrome. Not a problem, right? When you know that your identity is not being the parent. Your identity is those internal qualities and characteristics that are eternal. Like they never go away no matter how old you get or where you are in life.
1: All right. So I'm going to throw it back at you and I'm going to say, then who are you? Because if you say, you know, like, are you soccer dad? Are you best author? Are you Mr. Hallmark Channel? Going to smile for the camera? Like, who are you?
3: Oh, look at you making fun of me on my Hallmark Channel show.
1: Uh, That's so funny.
3: No, so I always say this is my, and I teach people um, to put it in a statement that's a one single sentence, very short. So my identity statement, this is who I am, no matter what role I'm playing is, I'm a man of excellence who always keeps his word. So, whether I'm being a dad, a CEO, an employee, a little league coach, uh, a husband, whatever it is, I'm a man of excellence. It means I always have to give maximum effort, right? I can't just be lazy and I'm just not going to give what I call half-stepping, right? I'm not going to half step. And then, I always keep my word. My kids love this when I said we're going to Disney because that meant we're going to Disney, right? And then, I opened up my wallet, the mouse took out the next five mortgage payments and we all had a good time, right? So it was great. Uh, but when I tell them you're grounded for three weeks, they don't like it that much because they know that when I say you're grounded for three weeks, it's three weeks, there's no mercy, baby. I love you, but we said three weeks.
1: Yep. Well, and I think that's such an important thing because I always say to my kids, you can take my word to the bank and cash it. Yes, and, you know, but that, with that great power comes great responsibility because if you lay down that law, you got to be able to, like right now we have this thing in my household where both kids were sassing back at me and we had a bad weekend and my dad was moving back in, you know, for the winter months and, and they were supposed to do their chores. They didn't. So I levied a bedtime. I ratcheted back their bedtime, which they hate an hour earlier. And it's, it's right there on my fridge because I need that reminder. I have one of those dry erase boards, and I'm like, "What bedtime is?" And if they violate it, they tack on an extra week.
3: I love it. So, and this is and this is where stress levels go up as a parent, right? When I say stuff that I don't really mean, and the kids know. Like, never will you hear me say. I'm not going to tell you again, because you know, we all know you're going to tell me again. Brush your teeth. I'm not going to tell you again. Of course you are. Why would you ever say that? Right? Or there's no Christmas or birthday presents this year. Well, that's just a lie. You know, you're going to cave. So why never do that? Right? So it also regulates your response, your emotional response to whatever the frustrations are. Right? So I'm always going to give them my word. And again, I have to keep it. That means I, I make sure it's measured when I give it.
1: Well, and that's it, self-control. Go ahead, Rob. I was going to say, uh,
0: how then, Dr. Whitman, do we go from being an emotional reactor to a reasonable responder? Because there are those days that we are totally just knee-jerk reaction. All right, you guys have got me to my limit. How can we uh, sort of have tools, if you will, so that we're not constantly being that emotional reactor, but we can hop, hopefully have some kind of reasonable
3: response. Yeah, absolutely. And that's a, that's a big section of the book that I'm you know, moving ourselves from being an emotional reactor into what I call the first responder column, right? Mm-hmm. So I like to channel the 911 operator. This is, this is a great visualization, right? If you've ever called 911 or seen it on TV, you know, do, do they freak out? You know, oh, no, they say 911, what's your emergency? And then they begin to ask questions to ascertain what are the facts on the ground? You know, and then they come up with an actual reasonable plan of response for the first responders, the firefighters, the EMS, or the police officers, right? So I want to channel the 911 operator, give myself, I call it the two-minute rule, right? Just two minutes of cognitive space. Suspend my disbelief, put my mouth in neutral for a second, and give me some time to think about, you know, how am I going to respond to this? How would I do it? If I was going to be, this is the question I always ask myself, if I was going to be a reasonable responder, how would I do it? Because we know in neuroscience, the brain has to answer a question. It's the original search engine. So I want to ask a good question that gives me a good answer, not some crazy question like, uh, I don't know how I could even be more stressed than I already am. Well, it's because your brain will go find all the reasons how you could be more stressed than you already are.
1: Yeah. Well, and don't you think, Dr. Whitman, there's great power in the question? I think I learned this from your first book um, or maybe from one of our interviews, but there's great there's great peace or information in the in the power of asking the question why like I have found I'm raising two boys my 85 year old dad lives with us so we got a lot of male energy in the house So you're raising
3: three boys
1: I'm raising three boys and there's a <laughs> lot to be said about the male decision making model versus the female to yes be fair. yeah so asking my kids why they did something usually will help me calm down a little bit when I understand what they were thinking. Now it's one thing to pull an eraser out of your brother's ear and go, what were you thinking? Right. another thing to go, why is the car parked over here and the keys, you know, and then, you know, my son told me, you know, a coyote came, so I ran after it with a stick so it wouldn't get nugget. Okay.
3: Right. Fair enough. good. Right, so we all, and that's that's a human, it's it's inborn in us that we want to because there if there's a reason why you did something, then we know okay at least they thought about it. Right. So we like to, and what we like to teach is because why is like a trigger word, right? So you'd be like, you, know, you tell your kids whatever it is you can't go outside and play in the street. Why? 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 Because I said so, right? So that's not really a good way to be a, a reasonable responder. So what we want to do is take the word the trigger word why, and I'll ask them this. I'll say, instead of saying, why did you do that? I'll say, I know you had your reasons. Yes. Do you mind me asking what they are? Okay. Right, so I'm taking the why out of it and I'm making them think, what are their reasons? I didn't say they were good reasons. I just know you have reasons, right? So I'm going to give them the benefit of the doubt that they actually have reasons and then ask them, do you mind me asking what they are? Mm-hmm. So I'm, see, when I'm doing that. I'm de-escalating the whole thing, even with the eraser in their ear. Listen, I know you have your reasons for sticking the eraser in your brother's ear. Do you mind me asking what they are? I mean, it's almost humorous, which kind of takes that, that uh, the edge off the whole thing.
1: Well, and you know what he said? I wanted to see if it would fit.
3: Well, you know, it's scientific <laughs> yeah. method
1: future Tops engineer for, you know, <laughs>
3: physics
0: lesson one <101.
1: laughs> but it's physics you know it's but the I think the point is is too is about having a relationship with your kids building that relationship so you can ask some of these questions without it blowing up and I've worked really hard working on relationships with my kids I've asked both of you over the years for help in developing relationships with my kids because <clears throat> It's not, they're not employees. And I wish they were. Right. Right? <laughs> you can tell them what to do and they have to do it or they don't get paid. So it's a little bit different finessing as a parent. And I have found that I bring my parenting skills to work and my management skills come home. There's a lot of crossover.
3: Yeah, a ton. And that's why we spend a, uh, quite a bit of time in the book on being uh, influencing them, right? So I don't want to, you know, be in, in the difference between leadership and management, And we start off with like when they're little, you have to be a manager, because right? a manager runs the trains on time. They don't ask the conductor, do you like the schedule? What do you think of the schedule, right? And so what we know is, as the kids are preteen years, especially, they don't have the cognitive processing, The uh, the prefrontal cortex is not the executive functions aren't there yet. So I have to just tell them, here's the schedule. Here's the bedtime. As they grow into that preteen to teenage years, they begin to form that, what I call the critical thinking skills. They can begin to get the influence. And that's when I want to start leading them and guiding them, not just telling them, this is the schedule. I want them to have input so that they begin to feel like they have ownership of their own course of direction.
1: Well, because you won't always be with them. You know, that's the one thing, like, I'm in a divorced household, so the kids go over to their dads, and I need them to think. Like, I have needed them to think and reason from day one, because I'm not there to hold their hand. But, you know, kids go to school, and kids go to visit their families and friends, and you right. need your kids to think.
3: Yes, and, 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 if you, and here's the, the greatest thing that we found out about the human machine, is that we learn best by imitation. Mm-hmm. So if you think and you act as a first responder, your kids will imitate that and also like almost magically. Like you don't even have to sit down and teach them this is what a critical thinker is. If you just act as one, they're going to mimic that behavior. And then because it's monkey see, monkey do, literally monkey see, monkey do. We even name a study in there um, where they, they take primates and kids that are two and a half years old and they, you know, chimpanzees and orangutans and they walk them through this cognitive processing And see the difference, right? So it really, I mean, it's that simple. I mean, it's, but we already know this, but then doing it in the heat of the moment is where the rub is, right?
0: I can honestly attest to that in that my kids are now in their mid thirties and I am seeing them do with not only the children that they interact with every day, but even other adults. I'm hearing, I'm seeing a mirror image. <laughs> when my <laughs> daughter opens her mouth at a meeting,
1: I know where that came from. <laughs>
3: That's
1: so well, you just answered the million dollar question of why did my kids eat out of the dog bowls? Like <laughs> <laughs> as like, toddlers, the said that monkey see monkey do. And I saw my toddler, you know, going over and eating out of the dog bowl. I mean, it's, we model after what we see.
3: Right. Yeah. And, the, and that's really, this is the whole trick of reducing stress mm-hmm. because that, and, uh, that whole, right, it's show and tell, right? That's what we, our kids, when they go to, it's show and tell. It's not tell and just tell and tell, right? And, but a lot of times as parents, we tell them, you know, you need to eat your vegetables. Well, are you eating yours? Right. I never told my kids go clean their room when mine's a wreck. Yeah. <laughs> right? yeah. So, uh, because it just doesn't, uh, kids can spot that five miles away and then the stress levels go up. You lose credibility as an influencer. Yeah. right so I always take the long term I every since my kids were coming out of the birth canal I took the long-term view of setting them up for success when they're 50 and 60 and 80 and hundred so that way I takes the pressure off the moment right so I'm looking at that I'm looking long-term, so I don't get that, really, are you that, is it really that important to have a fight before the kids go to school in the morning because they didn't eat their gummy vitamins? I mean, Yeah, I
0: totally, that was a big thing. And I used to sit on my husband sometimes and say, do not open your mouth. There would be something that he'd be upset about that the kids did. And I said, not until after school. We deal with it after school. Not only are we calmer at that point in time, but I'm not going to send the kids off to school when they have tests and they have to perform and they have to learn and they have to be uh, in a positive mental state, um, then you deal with it after. Nothing, nothing is, is that critical that it has to be dealt with at 740 in the morning. You know what I was going to ask though, one of the things that I was somewhat of a proponent of was to discuss with my kids if there was an issue, if there was something that either a behavior that I was trying to help them work through Or something that I was struggling with, how much, and of course it's always age appropriate, how much, Dr. Whitman, do you sit and say, as an adult to a child, I'm having trouble making a decision with this. Let's see where we're at. And of course, that's sort of, it could be anywhere. But there were times that I I couldn't give a total answer or a punishment because we had to work it out.
3: Right. And I always want to get more information, more facts Right before making a decision. And I'll say this, you know, what we know about how the brain works, that we take in 11 million bits of information per second, and only 126 bits goes to our conscious mind for action. The more streams of 126 that I could get into the discussion, the more we tap into everyone's genius, right? So, I want to know, even my two-year-old, if they have some uh, opinion on something, I want to hear about it because it's from their perspective, from their eyes. I'm not seeing, I don't remember what it was like to be two or four or six or even a teenager because I'm, you know, I'm 51 now. I can remember it, but I'm really not emotionally that into it right now, right? Because when we have that space, what's that? Hindsight is always 2020, 20, and I don't have the emotions and the hormones raging. So I want to know what, the, and what they think. Not always that, you know, are we going to do what you're saying, what your opinion is and your opinion might not be right, but I'm going to validate your right to feel that way. I'm never going to say you shouldn't feel that way. Like, you know, what I mean, like, so why, who am I to say they shouldn't feel that way? Right. Now I'm going to guide them in the direction we want to go, but I still need to hear where they're coming from, no matter really what age, but again, age appropriate. I mean, I'm not going to talk mm-hmm. about sex, drugs, and rock and roll with my five-year-old, you know what I mean? But right, my right, five-year-old, right. I did have the conversation of, listen, we all do dumb stuff. If you're going to do dumb stuff, be smart doing dumb stuff. As in, like, if you find yourself, I, we don't want you drinking, right? Not a, not a, I'm not a fan. But if you do at a, you're do you at a party, and you're, then you call me. I don't want you to be afraid to call me that you're going to be in trouble. Mm-hmm. I will come help you, and there's not going to be a big blow-up. But they have to know from the time they were little, there's not going to be a big blow-up. I'm not freaking out if you spilled the milk. Mm-hmm. Does that make well, sense?
1: And that, that, yeah, and that, that comes down to, you know, when I brought my dad into my household, it was very interesting because we have, you know, we went from 8 to 80, I had an eight and a 10-year-old, and then there was me in the middle, and then I had an 80-year-old. Wow. And it was great because, I mean, there were sometimes it was hard because the TV was blasting all the time. But beyond that, my dad said some really important things that I feel are reflected, at least the spirit are reflected in your book. And number one is you don't have to answer right away as a parent. You know, something can happen because I was kind of like, the first responder, Johnny on the spot. And my dad said, you know what, San? He goes, you don't have to answer or you don't have to handle this right away because everything was inflamed. You know, everybody was upset.
0: Yeah. And
1: he's like, you know, if you go take a bath, take a walk, go to the gym, go to your spin class, do something, come back. And he goes, the boys will calm down. He goes, then we can solve it. And I don't know, maybe it's because we live in a texting immediate society. Like when were we always immediate problem solvers as parents that we needed to jump right in? We needed to, you know, in, in, when I was growing up, we had to be called in from the field in the forest in order to get yelled at, you
3: know? <laughs> right, right. Now you're a hundred percent. And he's, he's so right on because what happens is, and I call it in the book, the hormone dump, right? When you get uh, that hormone dump, uh, when you're upset, right, it's that fight, flight, or freeze. It's a physiological response to stress. Uh, and then you can't be rational for 20 minutes. So it takes 20 minutes for those hormones to get out of your system. So you do need to go for a walk or go to the gym. or relax. And what you said was right. I remember when I was little, we wanted to make cocoa. You had to stir it on the stove and do it on low because the milk would curdle. Now it's just like microwave. It's, you know, a minute and a half isn't fast enough. You know what I mean? So I think, yeah, technology has kind of closed that gap. And, and it's keeping us from that space of 20 minutes to let the hormones go out of our system and we're not emotional reactors.
0: Mm-hmm. But don't you also feel that by doing that, you will resolve it as opposed to put a Band-Aid on it and then be resentful. And then it's going to come up a month later because something yeah. insignificant is going to happen and you are still harboring all of that stuff that, or the kids could be, that never got resolved back when it should have
3: been. Yes. You're a hundred percent spot on. And then then you get this, that, that kind of resentment and that resentment yeah. turns into bitterness and bitterness, right. Turns into contempt. And then the relationship is almost beyond repair. Right.
1: Mm-hmm. Right.
3: Right. So good, Robin. That's so good.
1: It's like Tara Kennedy Klein has a great line. She says, your kids don't have to love you, but they don't have to hate you either. There's that fine line between, you know, disciplining and things they don't like, but disciplining it with love. And that's why a lot of this resilience comes from, I think, loving yourself as well as loving your kids. Because if you don't care for yourself, how are you supposed to ratchet it back, get yourself under control? Like it all starts with you. That's the one thing I took away from this book is that it all starts with me.
3: Well, uh, you're 100% right. That's like the main theme, right? And I asked this, start out the book asking this question. Can you give anybody anything you don't have? And if you don't love and accept yourself, you cannot give love and acceptance to your kids. You're going to try to, but until you love and accept you, you can't give it to them. It's as simple as if you didn't have a $100 bill, you couldn't give them a $100 bill. Mm -hmm. Right? So the whole, really, this resilience starts with you loving and accepting yourself internally. And and just get, you know, we all have flaws. We just have to get over it. Right? And well, until you, yeah, and then make course corrections.
1: Well, I was going to say, this is where I think social media really does a disservice to parents. Because I have watched, we have this thing called movie night in the park. And everybody goes on Wednesday nights in the summer with their coolers and their things. And I watched this family in front of me. They were carrying this cooler. And the mom's like, everybody stop, stop fighting. And the father put the cooler down and he, you know, put it down. And he stood there like this and then she took the camera on her phone and everybody smiled she goes okay everybody smile we're at movie night and i'm like yeah! and everybody smiles and then they went back to bickering and i loved it cuz i like when people bicker cuz it makes me not feel bad that i'm single so when they're <laughs> bickering like that
3: That's a whole nother show.
1: That's a whole nother show. (laughs) My point being is what was presented to the public was not even close to the reality of watching. You know, the kids were cranky. The the dad didn't want to carry the cooler. I could tell he didn't want to go and watch whatever, you know, I think it was frozen. You know, she had three little boys. Like, you know, the mom wanted to go. But that perception was that we must be happy all the time.
3: Or show that we're happy because you're not, they're not and this is, the, this is really where it starts messing up because we all live three lives. We have a public life, a private life, and a secret life, right? So the public life is that taking the selfie, right? And we put it out there on Instagram and, and Snapchat, right? So what we show to everybody. Our private life is the stuff that you said was going on with the cooler and slamming that, right? And that's what happens behind closed doors. And our secret life is how we think our thoughts and how we talk to ourselves, right? So, And if you're not happy inside your secret life, that is going to be apparent eventually. Even in your public life, what's done in secret will come out publicly. I mean, and the names of all the people that have had this secret life come out publicly in the news is just on and on and on. And in social media, it's just going to get worse and worse. Because you could present yourself one way, but until you fix what's going on in your head, how you think your thoughts, then that will eventually come out because you cannot control that. I mean, you can control it in smart, snip, small snippets, like for a selfie. But long term, that, that uh, aggravation, that bitterness and that contempt will come out. So, I, you know, that's part of what we talk about in the book is taking care of your secret life, right? Get your thoughts in order. What is your self-talk like about yourself? If you're saying stuff like, oh, I'm just so exhausted, well, then your brain goes to work and finds all the stuff that backs that up and you will never get out of being exhausted or I'm so stressed out. Why would you keep saying that over and over again? And then what happens is your brain goes and looks for all the stuff that keeps you stressed out. And it's just neuroscience. It's not like, I know it sounds like motivational speaker junk, but it's it, medically what you think and say to yourself becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy.
1: Well, and I can say that with the, when I, when the kids were small and I was first divorced, one of my mantras was... I don't have enough time. I don't have enough time to do that. And I found myself saying it. And then I don't know if it was a therapist or a friend said to me, hey, Stan, what would happen in your world if you just said, you just slowed down a second and go, yeah, I have enough time to do that. Do you know what? The laundry got done. The kids got fed. I got to work. That whole kind of idea that I created in my mind was false. And I was creating this false reality by one piece of faulty thinking.
3: Right. And so it was really just a mindset shift, a perception shift. Nothing really physically changed all it is how you looked at it. And that's really what resilience is. It's my perspective. I just had somebody ask me, you know, uh, one of the comments, we had a uh, Yahoo News article go out about the book. And then one of the comments was like, I make so many sacrifices as a parent, you know, I've sacrificed. And so they asked me, do you make, I'm like, I never one time looked at it as sacrificing. I looked at it as investing in my kids. Right. So, and it's this perspective shift. Yeah. I might not have, you know, bought whatever newest toy for me, but I got something cool for their education or I put it away. Right. So that's not a sacrifice. It's an investment. Nothing's really changed. It's just how I'm looking at it.
1: But look at for the emotion time. of those two words. Oh my gosh. Sacrifice, what about time? Right. Sacrifice versus investment. Sacrifice. You're like, oh my God, I'm a martyr. And right. investment is like, hey, I'm smart and savvy. I'm doing the right thing.
3: Yes. So how do you think it would make your kids feel about you if you're like, I'm sacrificing for you? Well, I might, my kids would be like, well, don't. I don't want you to sacrifice for me. You know what I mean? That's like, I, please don't. I mean, we wouldn't want our, right? That was the same thing we, we would tell our parents, don't sacrifice for us, you know? Um, so, but that mindset shift, I think, and same thing with what you said, the right? like, time. Like, I never thought that spending time, and here's the thing. I've got literally 18 years maximum. I really think it's like 15 to 16 years of time to influence how my kids, what their value system is, what they think, right? I'm going to take every second of that time that I can and utilize it to maximize my influence with them. I never complained about I have to, like, so this past weekend, I drove my daughter to a lacrosse camp four hours away, a clinic. If she wants to go to Duke University, we went to Duke, we drove in there. That means I get to sit with my 14-year-old for three and a half hours one way and three and a half hours the other way. Why would I ever complain about getting seven hours of FaceTime with her? You know what I mean? Like, I just don't get that. How's that a sacrifice? Like, first off, who I'm like that's almost impossible to get, yeah. you know?
0: Perfect. Perfect. I, I always would try to make sure that when we sat down together that I did, of course, this was way before cell phones and whatnot that I did have some undivided attention. Because if you're trying to do something else at the same time, it's fine. You can say, you know what, come help me with supper. I've gotta get this, we've gotta go to Girl Scouts in about a half an hour, help me with supper. That's okay, but at least sometime during the week, there was some undivided time. Tell me about this story you're writing. Tell me about this video game that you're playing. Whatever it is that the child is doing, You are respecting them enough to sit down and listen to them. And that's part of where their self-esteem and their self-confidence comes from.
3: That's huge. And I I say this, you know, when I'm on the podium doing keynote speeches and stuff, the greatest gift you can give anybody is your attention. Mm -hmm. When you give them your attention, you're giving, you're fulfilling their number one need, which the number one human need is acceptance, right? Pure acceptance. So when I give you my attention, I'm giving you, I'm fulfilling your number one need. There's no greater gift, not not uh, like a trinket, not a toy, not money, nothing. I mean, when I give you my attention, I'm telling you, I love you, right? So, and they, so you're spot on with that. And dividing your attention means that you're not that important to me. Well,
1: and I just want to throw out there that like not all... Technology is bad. And in fact, some of the technology, especially with teenage boys and a single mom, I'm going to tell you, we have the weirdest conversations at like 11 o'clock at night. I'll be in my room. My boys are each in their own room. And my older boy who's 15 and just had his first real date, you know, he went to his first real dance and he would text me at 11 o'clock and he's like, mom, I can't sleep. And then I'd say, what's going on? And he was better able to articulate his feelings to me of what was going on in his world through a text than if I was sitting on his bed, which always makes him weird and uncomfortable and he has a hard time making eye contact and he gets embarrassed. So there is a time and place for some of this stuff. I used to be the proponent of only face-to-face was valuable, but now I realize especially having boys, and boys do communicate differently than girls do, they can sometimes have a tougher conversation with me through a text than they could ever sitting at the dinner table. And then, of course, you've got brothers that are, you know, close in age and they're always into each other's business. So it's a privacy thing, too, to be able to talk to mom privately on a text. And I'll say, you know, do you want to talk on the phone? No. Do you want me to come into your room? No. I just need to tell you this
3: mom. Right. No, you're, you're spot on. And that it slows down that cognitive processing, right. And it makes them become a first responder. It gives them the chance I'll say to become a first responder instead of emotional reactor. And it's, it's with girls too. My wife and my daughter, they don't, it's not the technology. They have this journal that they, it's like one of those composition notebooks um, and they each, they write each other notes and leave it on each other's beds. And, and that's how they, Right, so it takes away the emotion of whatever the reaction is. And they've been doing that since she could start writing at six. And that thing is going to be really cool when I'm like 80 to go back and look at that thing. You know, to, to watch. It. Cause I don't even know what's in it because I'm not allowed to see it yet. Right, so it's between them. So, but, that, but yeah, you're, you're exactly right. When you write stuff, anything that you can do to help the communication and take the emotion out of it, to help you with any of these things, let them express themselves, then I, I'm a huge, then do it right, whatever it is, whether and we have Snapchat, Snapchat, our family, like I am gonna have a bunch of Snapchat followers, it's my family, and we snap each other, I've got like a 600-day streak with my oldest son, and my little girl, right, she's, she's a freshman in high school, her friends saw, and we have like a 400-day streak, and they were like, you have a 400-day streak with your dad, like she was a kook for doing it, she's like, yeah, you know, I, yeah, it's awesome, you know, so yes, we play games with it, we have fun with it, and you're 100% right on with that, Sandra, 100%.
1: Yeah, I think you just got to try for what works for you because every kid is different. I don't know yep. anything about raising girls. I don't have a girl. I only know how to raise my two boys and, you know, share what works for me. Now we're getting a little bit close to the end of the episode and I want you to give me the best advice you can for creating resiliency in a parent. But before you do, I want you to tell me, what do you do, to calm yourself down. You know, your kids do something or something happens that really lights you up. Like, you know, just hits every button and you're just bananas. How do you walk yourself through getting yourself or what do you do to get yourself into that space to to respond properly?
3: Yeah. The the very first thing that I would do is take a controlling breath, right? So I'm going to control my breathing where I'm going to, I'm going to inhale and listen, you could I work up to where I'm trying to inhale and exhale one breath for 30 seconds. Right? So that means I'm inhaling for 15 yeah. I'm inhaling for 15 seconds and then I'm exhaling for 15 seconds. Almost impossible. Right. I mean, you could do it because I've worked myself up to it. But when you're concentrating on that, there's no way that you could think of anything. And it gets everything to slow down, even if it's only you think it's 30 seconds, it's probably only four, but you're concentrating on that physical, right? So that's what I call biopsychology, right? So that's where I'm getting my body, mind, and emotions to act together. So I give my body something to do other than run my mouth and explode emotionally. So when you're, I'm concentrating on counting on the inhale, I can't be screaming, right? So I'm going to do that first and just Recentered the whole thing. So I'm, and then, and then, I, if that didn't work, I'm going to go do something else and get off. Physically move myself. Go to the bathroom. Take another track. I've got to, You got to get out of that environment because if you say I have to go to the restroom, nobody's going to stop you, right. <laughs> right? And if they are, you'd be like, well, there's going to be a mess right here, you know. And then we break the emotion and you know the tension anyway. So it's something if you can get your body. Because I'll say it's easier to act your way into good thinking than to try to think your way into good acting, right? So I'm just going to make my body go do something different and then let everything, let the emotions follow. Does that make sense?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Cause I'm, I'm good if I catch it in time. And I do sometimes like I do, I do have to work on that knee jerk. You know, I have a, I was the younger sibling. I have brothers and I can be really scrappy. And so with my boys, now that they're bigger than me, especially Max is six, four. So I stand up next to him and I see my brothers like, and I mean, it's (laughs) go time. Like it's go time. And sometimes I even call him Doug, which is my brother's name. And you know, I have to catch that because you know, my whole life so much alike. They're identical twins at this point. They do. But I realize that I have this conditioning, like my brother used to hold my head, put, you know, hold my head like far away from him. And I would try to swing (laughs) at him and couldn't swing. And so I have this, automatic reaction to go into that fight mode when my kids fight. And it's, you know, grandfathered to me by my brothers. Yeah. So that knee jerk, so if I can catch it before the knee jerk happens, I'm better off.
3: Absolutely. And when, when the second that you begin to, an awareness is key. Right? The second that you begin that you're in that thing, then you got to stop it, right? Either get out of there, take the, you know, the restroom break, take the controlling breath. Even if you find yourself in the middle of it, go take the restroom break. Right? So you just got to take action to stop it as soon as you're aware of it. And you'll get better at, your, and then you're re- reprogramming yourself is what's happening. Every time you do take that new corrective action over and over again, you're rewiring your brain to be calmer. And that's, that's really what we want do.
0: grandparents come in. <laughs> We've yeah. been there done that now.
3: <laughs> and you know it's really, whatever the reaction is, really not that big of a deal, whatever just happened. We'll work through it. Right. We'll I'm with you. It.
1: All right. So any best practice? That was a great one for me. Anything else you want to leave our listeners with other than where we can find your book?
3: Yeah, you can get it on Amazon, Barnes and Noble. It's a, it's all over the place. It's re- We went to number one on Amazon last week. So I, I was number one new release. I was so excited about that. It was pretty cool. And it stayed up there for all week. So um, go, yeah, get it on Amazon or Barnes and Noble's books a million I think has it too. I think best practices just, uh, you know, go love yourself first. That's the homework assignment for every parent. Go look in the mirror, flaws and all, accept yourself and realize you're awesome. There's, you know, we're all fallible human beings. We got to get over that we're not perfect, but just really love you first and then you could go love your kid.
1: Thank you. The book of the hour is Seven Secrets of Resilience for Parents, Navigating the Stress of Parenthood parenthood sorry uh the author is dr andrew whitman you can spell that w-i-t-t-m-a-n he's also got another great book called the ground zero leadership ceo of you which is i'm a big fan of so these books are very important and i have friends that are going to be listening to this episode from the state department so if rot and you guys i want you to get your copy because it's going to help you wherever you go in the world